Hey everybody, this is Ruben, and you're listening to Amazing Stories. John, sit down, sit down. Uh, good morning. Well, what is the Dean summary of today about? I have the feeling uh, the reason we ought to talk this morning is because in, in our conversations... Um, I, I have the impression you don't know everything I know. That's right. <clears throat> so let me give you my overall first. Your judgment as to where it stands and where we go now? Uh, I think there is... We've got... There is a cancer within, close to the presidency, that's growing. It, it, it's growing daily. It, it's compounding. It grows geometrically now because it compounds itself. Basically, one... We're being blackmailed. Two, uh, people are going to start perjuring themselves very quickly, and there is no assurance that it won't bust. That it won't bust. So, uh, let me give you the sort of basic facts. On the Watergate. It started with Bob Haldeman asking if we couldn't set up a perfectly legitimate campaign intelligence operation for your re-election. Mm. Not being in this business, I turned to somebody. Uh, I came up with Gordon Liddy who had an intelligence background from his FBI service. I was aware he'd done some extremely sensitive things for the White House. Uh, going into Ellsberg's doctor's office. Yeah. Uh, he'd worked with leaks, uh, tracking down leaks for Henry Kissinger, the, the plumbers. So we talked to Liddy and took him over to Mitchell, and he was told to put together his plan. And Magruder, as you know... Was running my re-election committee. Uh, he called me and said, John... I'd like to have you come over and listen to Gordon's plan. And I said, well, I don't really know as I'm the man, but if you want me there, I'll be glad to. And it was uh, me, Magruder, John Mitchell, and uh, Gordon Liddy. Operation Gemstone. We start with Plan Diamond, which will counter anti-Nixon demonstrators by drugging and kidnapping them and holding them in Mexico until the convention is over. Not into naval. Night and fog stormtrooper tactics carried out by a special action group. Uh, Gordon, do you really feel such a group? An I'm group of my general. My men will include professional killers who have accounted for 22 men between them, including two hanged from a beam in a Miami garage. Uh, where would these men uh, come from? Organized crime. And they don't come cheap. Uh, let's not contribute any more than we have to to the Mafia. Next, plan coal to sabotage black congresswoman Chisholm. Plan Emerald, a chase plane to follow and monitor all Democratic air traffic. Plan Quartz, microwave phone intercepts. Plan Sapphire, sexual entrapment of Democratic candidates. Crystal Center to monitor post-coital conversation with our sex agents. Plans Opal, one to four, uh, black bag Gordon, uh, Gordon. Plan Topaz, document intercepts and photographic espionage. Plan Garnet, outrageous demonstrations. Plan Turquoise, Cuban commando sabotage air conditioning at Democratic convention. Total cost, my general, one million dollars. Gordon, a uh, million dollars is a hell of a lot of money. Uh, we'd like you to go back and come back with something more realistic. And gemstone? Burn it, Gordon. Burn it. Liddy sat over there and tried to come up with another plan to bug the phones at the Democratic HQ in the Watergate. And they did, but couldn't get it approved. So Liddy saw Chuck Colson, who picked up the phone and called Magruder and said, uh, uh, You all either fish or cut bait. This is absurd to have these guys over there and not be using them. So they used them. Uh-huh. I see. And uh, 
Yeah, well, when I heard there had been this break-in and somebody from the re-election committee had been caught, I, I just said, oh my God. And, and subsequent to the burglary, John? Uh, what happened post-June 17th? Magruder perjured himself before the grand jury and Hunt and Liddy demanded money and it, it was paid. They put that under the cover of the Cuban committee. I would certainly keep that, uh, keep that cover for what it's worth. Because Bob Haldeman is involved in that and John and, and Mitchell. How was Bob involved? Well, they ran out of money over there and Bob had $350,000 in a safe over here which was set aside for polling purposes and there was no other source, so they came over and said, you, you all got to give us some money, and we all felt there was no price too high to stop this blowing up during the election, which sort of brings matters to... They're still asking for money. It's continued blackmail. Right. Hunt and Liddy and the others, it, it will go on even when they're in prison. It'll cost money. How much money do you need? I would say these people are going to cost... Uh, a million dollars over the next two years. We could get that. Uh, uh, On the money, if, if you need the money, you could get the money. You could get a, a million dollars and you could get it in cash. I, I know where it could be gotten. It could all blow damn soon. Well, your, your major guy to keep under control is Hunt. That's right. Liddy, in his own bizarre way, is the strongest of them. Got to keep the cap on the bottle, John. Everybody's starting to watch out. For their own behind. They're, they're, they're getting their own counsel. How do I protect my own ass? They're, they're scared, and that's bad. It will be each man for himself, and one will not be afraid to rat on the other. The might of Japan is humbled, and America's sons return to wives and sweethearts and the land for which they gave so much. At San Diego Naval Yard, the fleet is in. The boys are home. Honey, over here. Honey, ha. Yes. Oh, my God. It's good to see you, buddy. You want another ice cream? I'm two years away, and you're asking me if I want another ice cream? <laughs> Sometimes you're a cold fish, Dick Nixon. Eh, you know, it's, it's always been hard for me to say what I feel. It's just, uh, you'll have to trust me, buddy. I've missed you very much, sweet. But I've been pretty self-reliant. Why, I know that. Uh, all of you back home have... Uh... Listen to me, Dick. I could have had a lot of fun if... <sighs> I don't know what I'm trying to say. Maybe now isn't. Buddy, I, I do love you, and uh, you're, you're right. If, if we don't talk to each other, uh, if, if we don't talk... Uh, there could have been... I could have done... Oh, I could have been very happy if I hadn't missed you so much. <laughs> so you must always love me a lot and never let me change my feelings about you. We'll be together. You and me. Trust me. Will you still love me when I'm old and shriveled and ridiculous looking? You may get old and wrinkled, but you'll always be my very own prune. Dick Nixon, was that a joke? <laughs> <laughs> oh. So, 
Now we have a future. What are we going to do with it? Uh, a family, I guess. Uh, Mom and Dad will like grandchildren. I think that can be arranged. Well, what about you? I can go back to the law, only... Uh, you know, looking at all those fellows coming home from the war, talking to them out in the Pacific, and, and they, they were all sorts, buddy, and uh, I, I could do things for them, make things run smoothly, help them, support them, and... Uh, they were grateful? They were. They, uh, <laughs> they kind of liked old Nick Nixon out there. They didn't know I was Frank Nixon's boy or Hannah Nixon's son, Harold's little brother. I was just who I said I was, and I... I got around to thinking maybe I, I could do things for a lot of people back here. And then they'd all like you too, Dick. <laughs> the problems of the United States can be summed up in three words. Russia abroad, the labor unions at home, and President Truman and the Democrats in Washington. <laughs> Dick, as you know, we are uh, looking for a good man to stand against the Democrat, Jerry Voris. Uh, if you fellas think you can put on a campaign. You know what Voris has done against the oil business in California? Damn near cut us in half. Mm. You'd have to stand before the local Republican Party committee, Dick, and get nominated by them. Uh, uh, by the way, you are a registered Republican. Hmm? <laughs> well, you're a young fella. You can talk well. Lieutenant Commander, good record. Mm -hmm. Local son. I I've looked at Burris's record. Uh, he's a New Deal idealist, which is to say he hasn't a practical bone in his body. I suggest you fly down to Whittier. Hmm? War hero comes home. Mm. We can arrange for some good publicity. And Dick, the, uh, the uniform... I like it. Gives a good impression. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm wearing it because Pat threw away all my old suits. <laughs> and I, I can't afford to buy new ones yet. <laughs> but, but sure, I'd be happy to go home, see the folks, tell them a few things. What have you got in mind, Dick? That veterans don't want to come back to a, a dole or government schemes or a bread line. That they want a fair chance at the American way of life. In the last four years... There have been more than 14,000 labor disputes involving over 7 million workers. We have won the war, but we stand in grave danger of losing the peace as communist agitators encourage yet more strikes and a worn-out and corrupt democratic administration can find neither the energy nor the will to fight back for America. Rightly, it is said, to air is Truman! <laughs> a political campaign is nothing more than selling a product. You got a candidate, that's your product. How are you going to sell him? That's your campaign. We don't have to beat the Democrats. We have to beat Voris. I, I learned that playing poker in the Pacific. You don't play the cards, you play the man. Voris is complacent, thinks he's safe. Folk are ready for change. Exactly. Our job is to get him out, because until we do, we can't even begin to help people. Dick, you're sounding like a candidate already. <laughs> uh, I have to tell you, I, I managed to save a few thousand dollars during the war and uh, from playing poker, but uh, I'm not a rich man, 
And Pat and I will have a family to support as well. Money is not a problem. You get the small businessmen of California on your side, Dick, then they will support you and they will stick with you. They will be your constituency, Mr. and Mrs. Average, and they will never let you down. People like my mom and dad, millions of them. And, and gentlemen, let me tell you something. There's nothing average about them. Each one is very special. Each one is an American. This man is saleable merchandise. Which is why I want to introduce to you today a young man, a war veteran, a local lawyer who many of you will know. Good old Nick! Who I sincerely hope will become the Republican candidate for the 12th District to stand against and defeat Jerry Voris in the upcoming congressional election. Yeah. Lieutenant Commander Richard Milhouse Nixon. How is she? She's lovely. <laughs> My lord, when you look at her little hands, they're so perfect. Dick, if you get this nomination, it's going to be all right, isn't it? Sure it is. We'll be doing something for people. Not for people, Dick, for us. You, me, Trisha. We'll make it. It might be tight, but we've got good friends out there already. <laughs> friends who will want something out of you. Well, I want something out of them too, Pat. And I just want us to be a family. Together. Can we be a... F Excuse me. Yes. Yeah. That's it. Uh, thank you. Meet the Republican candidate for the 12th district. Oh, Dick! <laughs> oh. Oh. Returns are in for the 3rd District, and it looks like newcomer ex-Navy veteran Dick Nixon has walked away with the seat from longtime incumbent Jerry Voorhis. The contest has not been fought without bitterness. Voorhis accuses his opponent of underhand and smear tactics, while Congressman Nixon angrily rebuts the charges. Speaking from his hometown, Whittier, he told supporters, Voorhis didn't do his research. Any grocer, my dad, would tell him, if you don't have what the public wants to buy, and if it isn't fresh and new, then you might as well shut up shop right now. I came out determined to win, so the people of this district had a real choice for a change. Jerry Voorhis, in his concession statement, wished Mr. Nixon well, but, some say pointedly, did not congratulate the freshman congressman from the 12th district on his campaign. Dramatic developments in the Watergate trial. Today, Judge John Sirica handed down sentences for the burglars. James McCord and the others, arrested within the complex, received 40 years apiece. Howard Hunt, 35 years, and G. Gordon Liddy, 20 years. Tom Swigert is at the courthouse. Tom, what's the latest? Judge Sirica has recommended the guilty men cooperate with the federal grand jury currently investigating the break-in. He said, should you decide to speak freely, I would have to consider that in any final sentencing.
Tom, it's rumored that one of the conspirators has handed the judge a letter. Correct. Burglar James McCord wrote to Judge Sirica stating, I have been under political pressure to plead guilty and remain silent. I fear for my life. Thank you, Tom. Meanwhile, from Vietnam, the POWs return. President Richard Nixon's peacemaking begins to pay dividends at home. So what are we looking at, Bob? Well, the idea of blackmail, the money. I, I talked to John Dean and said, uh, I mean, it was that particular thing that triggered me. I said, I mean, Jesus Christ, these guys are in something here that we got to knock off. I said, you can't be paying blackmail for years for that sort of thing. It's ridiculous. I said, John, John, how much is it going to cost to go on paying this money? What, One million dollars? Outrageous. Out of the question. Well, you may have said something about, well, you know, well, that we ought to be able to... How did get... it uh, eventually get back to Mitchell so he got, uh, he got uh, the money? Well, Mitchell said to Dean, I'm not sure, but in effect, what he'd done about the hunt thing... And, uh, and Mitchell says, oh, I guess it's taken care of. I, I guess we didn't know Mitchell was doing that. Yeah, yes, I guess we did know it. I hear that Mitchell is saying that John Dean told Magruder to lie to the grand jury about setting up the bugging. What does Dean say about it? Well, it was Mitchell and Magruder who did the talking. This goddamn case... Look, the important thing is we are sure here the money raised, any money raised and given to Hunt, was not to stop him talking at any time. Before or after he was convicted, it was not to obstruct justice in that way. Oh, no. It was for legal support. That is all. I want this matter cleared up once and for all. I don't want the presidency tarnished. I want John Ehrlichman to reach people, all those involved, and give them the straight damn line. We raised money, but uh, we raised money for a purpose we thought was perfectly proper. We didn't want to shut them up. Those men were guilty. We just didn't didn't want them to talk to the press. That's perfectly legitimate. Isn't it, or, or, or is it legitimate not to want them to talk to the press? Well, I think it is. We have to have this, uh, all this, this perjury, people lying or, or not to the grand jury, to Sam Irvine's committee. I, let me tell you, I know committees. I've been wanting to tell you this for some time. I was thinking about Hiss, Alger Hiss. He was destroyed not because he was a spy, Russian spy. He, he was a, a spy, but because he lied. He was charming, and he had President Truman behind him. But I got him, Bob. He lied. So don't lie with these bastards. Washington. This day, Alger Hiss, darling of the liberal establishment, enters prison, convicted of perjury. Just one strand in the continuing story of communist subversion in America. Hiss's downfall began when Life magazine editor Whitaker Chambers appeared before the House Un-American Activities Committee to be questioned by Representative Richard Nixon of California. Mr. Chambers, you were a member of the Communist Party. I was, Mr. Nixon, until 1938. You defected? I left, sir, yes, after the Hitler-Stalin bath. And you indicated that nine years ago you reported to the government concerning the communists who were in the government. Yes, sir. And did you name, among others, Alger Hiss? I did. And was any action taken by the Democratic leadership at the time as a result of your report? No, Mr. Nixon, it was not. Despite the fact that Mr. Hiss had access to secret material, 
State Department official and Roosevelt favorite son, Alger Hiss, denied all involvement. I am not and never have been a member of the Communist Party. I have never met this person, Whitaker Chambers, to the best of my recollection. I have served my country for many years and resent the smears emanating from the House Un-American Activities Committee and Representative Nixon. Why did you believe Chambers? Is it true he's an alcoholic? Is the committee totally In response to the committee's allegations, President Truman forbade the FBI from releasing any further information on Alger Hiss or any other government employees to Mr. Nixon and his fellow committee members. The Democratic press turned their full fury on the man at the center of the allegations. There has been a smear campaign, but not against Mr. Hiss. Whitaker Chambers has been accused of being insane, a homosexual, and an alcoholic. This committee intends to summon Mr. Hiss to face his accuser. In private session, Mr. Nixon pressed Whitaker Chambers on the truth of his story. You maintain you stayed with Hiss while you were both members of the Communist Party? I stayed at his house on the Potomac. Did Mr. Hiss have any hobbies? He was a bird watcher. I recall there was great excitement because he'd seen a prothonotary warbler. A prothonotary warbler. It is very rare. Mr. Hiss claims he does not know you. He is lying, Mr. Nixon. If the American people knew the true nature of Alger Hiss, they would boil him in oil. Would you be willing to submit to a lie detector? Yes, if necessary. You have that much confidence? I am telling the truth. Mr. Hiss, what are you going to say to the committee? Are you going to sue? Have you heard that Chambers is willing to... Summoned back before the committee, Hiss's story began to waver. Representative Nixon was dogged in his pursuit of the urbane East Coast intellectual. You assert, Mr. Hiss, that you do not recognize the photograph of Mr. Whitaker Chambers. It is a picture of an untidy, unshaven-looking man. It could be anybody. It could be you, Mr. Nixon. <laughs> this man did not stay at your house. Many people stayed at my house. I recall a man named Crossley, who was a journalist, I believe. He stayed. Do you have any hobbies, Mr. Hicks? Mm -hmm. I am an ornithologist. Oh. Did you ever see a prothonotary warbler? I have. Right here on the Potomac. Did you see one? I saw one in Arlington. Mm. Beautiful yellow head. A gorgeous bird. Can we return to Mr. Chambers? You may return anywhere you like, Mr. Nixon. <laughs> I, I am asking Mr. Chambers to enter the committee room. Mr. Hiss, the man standing here is Whitaker Chambers. I ask you now if you have ever known that man before. Could you say something? My name is Whitaker Chambers. The man I knew as Crossley had bad teeth. Would you open your mouth? Will you do so, Mr. Chambers? Hmm. This is the man I knew as George Crossley. Are you George Crossley? Not to my knowledge. You are Alger Hiss, I believe. I certainly am. That is my recollection. Did you stay at Mr. Hiss's house at any time? <laughs> A number of times. He did or he did not? I did. Would you care to tell me how you reconcile your positive answer with my negative answer? Very easily, Alger. I was a communist, and you were, and still are, a communist. Oh this committee is privileged for libel. I challenge you to make that statement outside, and I hope you will do it damn quickly. 
The latest Gallup poll has shown that four out of five Americans support the work of the committee. Whitaker Chambers repeated his allegations on Meet the Press. Do you expect Hiss to sue for libel? No, I've, no, I do not. Uh, Mr. Hiss has lied to the people and to the press. It is up to him to put up or shut up. What convinced you Hiss was lying? I learned to judge men during the war in the foxholes of the Pacific. I trusted Whitaker Chambers' word. Got nothing to do with promoting Richard Nixon as the defender of middle America against a democratic establishment? Got nothing to do with the help of the press, either, since you fellas were against us from the start. Is it correct that President Truman did all he could to hinder your committee, Congressman? That he instructed federal employees not to cooperate or pass information to you? Mr. Truman tried to hamstring the committee, but he has no base in the Senate or in the House. Any president facing a hostile Congress cannot hide from justice and right. Today, with Alger Hiss facing a prison sentence, despite all Mr. Truman's attempts to protect him, justice and right have triumphed. After his committee triumph, the young congressman from California is seen as one of America's leaders in waiting. Surely the nation will hear more from Representative Richard Milhouse Nixon. Dick, where's this Watergate thing going? Where's it all going? Nowhere. Everything's under control, buddy. Trust me. I never wanted to come this far, to be here, to be the president's wife. I guess there are duties as well as the other. And we are doing things, buddy. That, that's what they don't seem to understand. We're out of Vietnam. Do they give me anything for that? Russia, China, the, the kind of strides we're making in these uh, with these leaders... Mao, Brezhnev, talk to me. Not to Lyndon, not to McGovern. You read what Walter Lippmann said about McGovern. Yes, I read it. They will not give me credit for my achievements all my life. Well, they'll have to listen now. Because all the meetings, all the triumphs are there on tape. And they can't take that away from Nixon. Who is this they, Dick? They, them. You're President of the United States of America. You are the chief. Who are they, for God's sake? Thank you for listening, and don't forget to join us tomorrow for yet another amazing story.